0: In honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 56 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right, and we try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. In 2016, journalist Selena Zito won some sort of award for pithiness by explaining the results of the presidential election this way. The press took Donald Trump literally, but not seriously, whereas Trump supporters took him seriously, but not literally. Recently, he has been throwing around red meat to the serious and the literal crowd by both doing well in the polls and saying that he will do well and what he will do when he's elected. He has been reading things that his administration in waiting has been writing for him about how his second term might look from a policy viewpoint. and At the same time, often in the same speech on the same day, trying out things written for him that has sparked a debate, is he a little fascist or a lot fascist? I'm not sure which part is more alarming, but I have learned my lesson. I'm taking him seriously, perhaps sensing that the critique of the press in 2016 was correct about not taking Biden seriously, though, The New York Times and other places have been publishing polls that show that Trump is on a path to win and that Biden is too old to win. The media has done an admirable job of paying attention to the policy pronouncements by the former and maybe future president. And let's take a look at the immigration uh, proposals that Trump's Fengali, Stephen Miller, have drew up for him. There have been some glaring tells that Trump is reading someone else's ideas, by the way. Mr. Trump told a crowd in Iowa following the Eisenhower model, we will carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. Now, does anyone really think that he has any idea what Eisenhower did or did not do? So about these immigration plans, it starts with a roundup of anyone undocumented and hold them in camps concentrated with other undocumented people. We'll call them concentration camps, perhaps. He would end the humanitarian paroles for people that are here from countries that were too dangerous for them to return to, including those who escaped Afghanistan, for example. Trump plans to do ideological screening at our consulates overseas, presumably to make sure that any future visa applicants agree with his administration. He would get the troops to do all this rounding up and screening, not by increasing the budget, that's something Congress would have to agree with, but by federalizing the National Guard and the police in red states. He would pay for it by using the military budget or uh, that, the part that's under his control or maybe by moving enforcement agents from other places in the federal budget, he says. So I assume meat inspectors at the USDA could be sent to the southern border to help. Trump would return to his oldest favorite idea, banning entry of people from Muslim countries. Trump and Miller, they would reinstate Title 42, But instead of using COVID as the rationale, he plans on blaming tuberculosis. One proposal is to end citizenship for those born in the United States, something that would run afoul of a black and white provision of the Constitution of the United States. But instead of arguing that these things are permitted under law or under that pesky Constitution thing, Miller says they'll just overwhelm the legal system by doing all of these things in a sort of executive branch blitzkrieg not a lot of subtlety when it comes to their approach. Any activists, they say, who doubt the president's resolve in the slightest are making a drastic error. Trump will unleash a vast arsenal of federal powers to implement the most spectacular migration crackdown. That's what Miller told the Times. Oh, he also added, the immigration legal activists won't know what's happening. So in keeping with their theme, though, there is a literal and serious reason to believe that even these things if they're challenged the combination of the change in public sentiment about immigration and the many trump appointees to the courts means that they might be able to take much of this immigration plan to see how this immigration to see how immigration might actually change under their administration it could be challenged or defunded this is true or it could be ruled unconstitutional But it might not be for the reasons that you think, and I'll get to that in a minute. Just as this Stephen Miller guy has been putting xenophobic meat on the bones of Trump's visceral hate of immigrants, there is a deep bench of arch-conservative thinker types who are preparing for Trump 2.0 with lessons learned from the failed first presidency. Trump and his brain trust, if you want to call them that, see that their big mistake in appointing government officials last time was finding experienced people instead of the more intellectual, pliant folks that are the true MAGA believers. Unlike 2016, when they, and the rest of us, were caught flat-footed, this time they've rounded up thousands of names of people with attitudes that are flexible enough to do some of the crazy stuff that they couldn't do last time, basically because they were constrained by all those things that usually stop bad ideas, like people who are loyal to the Constitution and the rule of law. Now, I say Trump and his brain trust are proposing these, but I'm not sure that part is actually right. It isn't Trump who has these big plans for what he wants to do. He never has. Since government is about advancing the state of the nation and its people, it has never been all that interesting to Trump except as, an act, as a way to act out grudges. The actual swamp of Washington, D.C., the wackadoos who do have an agenda, usually ones that have big moneyed interests behind them, those people can do real harm. When Axios reported hundreds of people are spending tens of millions of dollars to vet an army of up to 54,000 Trump loyalists, you can see that the beast is becoming aware. I think the word is sentient. Actually, that might be the right word. They're hiring Oracle to apply the latest AI tools to the job of scrubbing the internet, looking at people's social media accounts, presumably looking for just the right level of intellectual emptiness That would work in a Trump administration. When building their database, they asked prospect questions like, name one person, past or present, who has most influenced the development of your political philosophy. Another version of this question was, Donald Trump, amazing or simply godlike? So if you like the Trump administration, and if you're like, hey, that wasn't so bad, or they really didn't do all the bad things that they wanted, well, much of that was sheer incompetence of the right and their inability to govern in general. But a fair amount of it was they didn't discover how to do things until it was too late. And when they did, the quality of the help that was still around in say year three looked like the bar scene in Star Wars. This effort to pre-fill the next Trump administration is well oiled and I me- as I mentioned, it's well financed. It's backed by a who's who of super PACs like Turning Point USA and out there MAGA stars like Charlie Kirk. So that's what kind of people they want. But what kind of things do they want to do with their new army of dangerous, pricey assassins? Let's look at a partial list based on things they've said publicly and the things they've whispered to reporters like those at the New York Times, who, to their credit, did some deep digging. We should start with Trump's own remarks recently, that he would order a criminal investigation into Joe Biden and other unnamed opponents. But it seems like the broader goal here is to take as much power into the Oval Office as possible, no matter how many laws, norms, or traditions might get in the way. We're aware of this whole notion of the three branches of government with the overlapping powers that provide checks and balances to each other, basic schoolhouse rock stuff. Well, starting with Dick Cheney and still being held in thrall by many Republicans is this notion of what they call the unitary executive branch. The executive, the president, they say, can do virtually whatever he wants in as much as he has executive branch agencies, and neither Congress nor the courts have the power to do anything to limit that authority. So they want to bring independent agencies, like the Federal Communications Commission or the Federal Trade Commission, under direct White House control. They want to simply refuse to spend monies that Congress has allocated, a practice that was banned by Congress who, we all recall, have the constitutional power of the purse. They want to make it easier to fire federal employees by removing the legal protections that they operate under now. It's not clear who would be targeted by Trump, but he has referred to, quote, the sick political class that hates our entire country, close quote. And if that includes you, I'm sorry, pal. This whole idea of some agencies being independent of political meddling seems to be in the crosshairs. Trump and his minions are unapologetic about their idea that the Justice Department should manifestly not be independent and that decisions on who to prosecute and not should be a Donald Trump decision. Some of this tension has always existed. The sort of genius of the Constitution is that Congress makes laws ordering agencies to do things and enforce things. They pass budgets, they expand some avenues of government and narrow others. In theory the executive branch, the president, enforces these laws while the courts make sure that any disputes are resolved and that no one does anything that is straight up unconstitutional. There are times when Congress acts and the executive branch doesn't like it and maybe they don't move on Congress's wishes so fast. Does that happen? Yeah, all the time. But when a possible future President Trump declares he has authority that can't be controlled or limited by the other branches of government, that's sort of nuts. Again, Is this something we should take seriously or literally or both? Well, it depends on whether you think Donald Trump has a legitimate chance to become the president again. Do you? Fool me once. I figured there was no way such an unpopular and obviously ill-equipped person could become president in the first place. So if you're convinced that he can't get elected, then there's no reason to take this conversation seriously or literally. Go listen to last week's episode about the recent polls. I think Trump could win. Since I've, since I've, since he would need some help with the other branches of government, he should assume that there is at least one branch that could be in Republican hands in the next Congress. And it would be something to treat seriously if maybe the courts didn't get in Trump's way. I think we know where the court is nowadays. So yeah, I think when we hear about Trump and his MAGA followers plan to do something in Trump 2.0, we should take it seriously and literally. And we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. Bruno. He's your numero uno. So welcome back to Ask Anthony Anything. In this episode, we take letters and calls and any kinds of feedback from past episodes. Sometimes we take something that a public figure said. This week, we hear from Maria in Brooklyn who wrote about the results of the 2023 elections that came in. It looks like you wrote off Joe Biden too soon. So let's use this as an opportunity to revisit a couple of the past episodes. In March, I think it was episode 22, I wrote this whole uh, script about is woke a taunt or is it a compliment? And the argument that I made was that, you know, being accused of being woke might not be the kryptonite that many Republicans think. About a year ago, I looked at the midterm elections, the red trickle, and uh, looked at the effect of the abortion debate. So here's where I think we are politically. Joe Biden, as I said last week, is unpopular, but book burning is also unpopular. Removing constitutional rights is unpopular. Beating up on transgender young people is unpopular. The House of Representatives functioning like a kindergarten at recess is unpopular. And statements that you heard at the top of the show that sounded authoritarian at best and Hitler adjacent at worst are popular with the MAGA base, but maybe are not appreciated by people who have to make a choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump next year. So let's look at the woke thing first of all. In Virginia... All that woke conversation was basically perfected by a guy named Youngkin. He became governor of Virginia in an off-year election and was the bright light for the Republican Party. He invested a lot of money in reinforcing this idea of banning books and getting school boards to change and leaning into the abortion restrictions that he proposed. Ron DeSantis, as you uh, probably recall, he doesn't do it very much anymore, but wokeness was his whole thing. Florida is the place that woke comes to die. Well, we've had a couple of elections now, and it doesn't seem like that is, as I said, the kryptonite that Republicans seem to think. All across the country, particularly in the battleground state of Pennsylvania, school boards that were supported by this, you know, uh, moms for TikTok or moms for ending liberalism or whatever they were, these book-burning school boards were thrown out, lost all across the board, all across the country. People don't like that kind of stuff. And when people ran on a more progressive platform, They won in states like Pennsylvania and even conservative states like Virginia. And in Virginia, a so-called swing state, although it's clearly not anymore, where this Glenn Youngkin character is in charge, and he he tried to win both the House of Delegates and the Senate of Virginia, wound up losing both. So it did seem like a pretty good election day for Democrats when it came to that whole language of wokeism. It also obviously was very good for choice. Every place now that choice has been... on a a referendum in a state, a state as conservative as Kansas or as conservative as Ohio that we saw this past Tuesday, women and men who care about women stand up and say, listen, we don't like it that the Supreme Court took away this constitutional right. We're going to enshrine it in our state constitution. And there's no reason to believe in 2024 there won't be more of those resolutions on the ballot, including in places like Arizona. So is Mary right? Did I count out uh, Joe Biden too quickly, it could be. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it that I stand by what I said in the last, in the last um, podcast, that the swing states, they're looking like they're swinging towards Donald Trump. But one thing that I left out of that explanation of the polls was one thing that was asked that I didn't include. What if Donald Trump is convicted of any of the things that he's charged with? And it does show an off the edge kind of falling off of support for Donald Trump. So, yep, maybe it's true. The Democrats are doing fine. Let's face it. Ever since 2016, when Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, I will point out, 2017 midterm elections, Democrats swept. 2018, same thing. 2020, Joe Biden won. 2022, the midterm elections. The red wave turned into a red trickle. And now in 2023, a very unpopular, in-party president, still manages to have a, a winning Democratic day um, um, in, the, in the off-year elections. So there it is, Mary. Maybe you're right. Maybe I counted out Joe Biden too soon. I still think he's going to win, um, but I'm just nervous, just like I said last week. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you want to participate in the program, I'm going to put in the episode notes how you reach out to me if you're watching on video. And by the way, if you are a podcast subscriber, look for um, the video version of this, which we're working out the kinks on in a YouTube feed for 77 WABC Radio, or you can reach out to me at com or at Rep Wiener on Twitter or at Anthony D. Wiener on threads and on Instagram. I really do appreciate your support, and this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.